Please join me in a spirit of prayer. Gracious God, lover of souls, we give you thanks that you are the potter and your hands form us, restore us, make us conform to your purposes and your goodwill. Bless us in our worship today. May we be formed, made whole, and made ready to serve you every day of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. morning. Now, as I studied the scripture this week, preparing to preach, I had a certain song in my head. And I'm going to sing a bit of it and see who was in the church in the 70s. I'm going to sing a bit, join in, if you know it. Abba, Abba Father, you are the potter, we are the... Wow, where were you guys? (laughs) Playing hooky in the 70s, wow. No church renewal around here? Gee. (sighs) Let's try it. Abba, Abba Father, you are the potter, we are the clay, the work of your hands. Thanks, Barb Ballinger. You're great. (laughs) (laughs) Catholic renewal. Woo! (laughs) Now, that song was in my head all week because it matches the Jeremiah passage. In fact, it's from the Jeremiah passage. It got me curious, though, because I remember two different versions of it. We are the clay, and I am the clay. My next question was, which version do you remember? But you don't remember anything, so I'm not... (laughs) I'm skipping that. But it got me curious, so I started looking at YouTube versions of this song. And it seems that in the 70s, it was faithful to Jeremiah. We are the clay. And then as you went through the 80s and approached the 90s, I creeped in. We was replaced by I. The first person plural became the first person singular. And I thought to myself, my goodness, is there an example of American culture at work or what? It's a powerful culture we have, and we have to be on guard for it reshaping our scripture and our tradition and our religion, frankly, to become an individualistic sort of thing. And this individualism and this autonomy is a very good thing. However, it creates certain rubs in our religion that call us to grow into a corporate self, into a self that is part of a body. Because... Frankly, that's one of the gifts God gives us, and it's how God sees us as part of a body, part of a corporate whole, a collective. We're not only saved individually. We are, our salvation is played out in a corporate, collective body of Christ sort of way. So we got to be attentive to that rub of our culture because at its best, the cultural message about autonomy It does break down oppression. It ends tyranny. It takes away oppression from oppressed groups. And that's all to be celebrated. But when pushed to the extreme, it has kind of a dissolving effect. It dissolves other things we need as a community. It dissolves a sense of obligation to the other, a sense of duty to the other. 
It dissolves a sense of empathy that is crucial for community. It dissolves some forms of loyalty. So we have to be careful about autonomy when it becomes a solvent of community. So we're challenged by the Jeremiah passage to really look at ourselves as corporate clay, collective clay. And clay is a challenging, challenging metaphor because it is made out of grains like sand, but unlike sand, you can't find the grains. So there's not a lot of individuality in that picture, right? Instead, we have the picture of the muscular, I think, potter, and potters can be pretty muscular people, throwing that pot, boom. And not just throwing that pot and molding it with strong, sure hands, but doing a couple other things that we need to see as good news. And the main thing is that in this image, God is not just forming the pot. God is reforming the pot. God is not just shaping the pot. God is reshaping it. God is taking something that's become malformed or distorted or unstable, unbalanced, and returning it to true, returning it to usefulness, returning it to viability. And that's very good news because that's the very meaning of redemption. Taking the same old blob of material and working it back into what it was meant to be. And that is good news for us because we all have a reckoning. We all know our distortions, our lack of balance, how we've gotten out of shape. But to think that God is committed to our material, not going to discard us, not going to abandon us, not going to throw us in the bin, but going to restart us from what we are. That is really good news. It's also challenging news. There's another rub in it because God's going to break us down and build us up. God's going to break us down and build us up. God does both. And I think it rings true to all of us that we break down. And it's very good news that the break down in God's hands is on the way to a rebuilding, both as individuals and as a corporate whole. And part of my excitement about this place and this time of year is always, how is God going to build us up this year? What's God going to do with us this year if we turn ourselves over to God's hands? If we see what God's purpose is for us. There's another good news in this, and it's this, is I think if we are attentive to these scriptures, if we really live into them, it makes us a sort of people that the world needs. It makes us corporately and individually a sort of people that the world needs, both in what we have to say, our message, and how we live. We see some examples of this. In the other two readings, we have that very challenging gospel from Luke, where Jesus goes right at the family. This passage, I think, causes trouble for the family values, folks. He is telling us that the basis of society, the family, needs to be ordered to serve God. 
needs to be ordered in such a way as to be in service of discipleship. It's not an ultimate good in itself. It's what it serves. Very challenging. He's breaking down and messing with family life. Not a popular message. The other one from Philemon is a very challenging book. I really invite you to go read it. It it pays off to read it closely. But here we have the Apostle Paul writing to his community, the house church in Colossia, Colossae, sorry, trying to encourage them in my reading, not the only reading, in my reading, to set the slave Onesimus free when he goes back. It's a very subtle argument. It's very crafty, great rhetoric. You have to read it and see that throughout the letter, Paul is using family language to make Onesimus the equal of Philemon and the equal of Paul. And out of that equality in Christ, there cannot be an enslaved person in that home. It's a subtle, powerful, local argument that I believe sets Onesimus free, even though we don't know what happens. Is it completely satisfying to us who stand within the 400th anniversary of enslavement coming to this shore? No. We want a universal declaration from Paul. Slavery is wickedness. It has no place. We wish that slavery had been eliminated from day one in the world because of the church. That's not the story, and that's to be lamented. And that is a source of remorse and repentance for the church. However, I believe the seeds were sown in that letter to Philemon. And not a private letter, by the way, not a letter to an individual a letter to a church. See how it's addressed to the church? It was read in front of everybody. Where did that put Philemon? That is moral leverage, accountability caused by a community. Paul is calling for transformation, breaking down and rebuilding up in the purposes of God. We are part of that story. And that's the story, that's the message in the life we offer this world that needs it. Right now, we are in such a period of, I think, rapid change that people are intensely insecure, intensely anxious, intensely worried about how to even manage so much change. And out of that anxiety, people can head off in any direction. And justify almost anything. And we need a counterexample, a counterculture, a counter community in the world to show that there is a creative and upbuilding way to respond to transition. And that's a role for us. Peter Drucker, the great management consultant, referred to the time we're living in as a discontinuous culture, a discontinuous culture, a time when so many spheres of life are changing so rapidly that we struggle to acquire all the necessary knowledge 
to help things continue to feel manageable. So a lot of people, and you're not alone here, are feeling life as unmanageable, chaotic, worrisome. Add to that things like the recession of 2008. Add to that the stagnation of middle-class wages and the widening wealth gap. Add to that the dissolution of all those institutions and associations where we come into contact and build long-term trusting relationships with each other, like churches and clubs and service organizations. And we have a volatile mix. We have a dangerous cycle underway where people are feeling undermined and unmanageable and they're not sure whose hands are on this change. Our good news is that we know whose hands to look for in the change. And we know the signs of our God who is faithful who will find a way to make good even when it's falling down. Now, a paper at the American Political Science Association uh, won their best work award, whatever you want to call it, their best paper award, and had a really compelling name. The name of the paper was A Need for Chaos. And the authors surveyed Americans and other people in advanced democracies with some really interesting questions and got some really stunning results. Here are some of the questions. I think society should be burned to the ground. When I think about our political and social institutions, I cannot help thinking, just let them burn. Sometimes I feel like destroying beautiful things. And you're asked to say, I agree or disagree with these statements. 25 to 40% of respondents agreed. 25 to 40% of respondents agreed with those statements all over the political spectrum. That is disturbing. That is worrisome. Because added to that research is that this chaos is not a creative chaos, it's a nihilistic chaos. It's a burn it all, break it all down. I have no vision for what's next. We do. And we are more powerful in that vision when we are a we. We have so much to offer this world in discontinuous transition. Our world needs bodies of people who have the faith to grow and change and sacrifice and do it together. As a people in the hands of the potter who shapes and reshapes, who reckons and redeems, our faith opens us up and sustains us through change, through change in hope of serving God all the more constructively. That's not a quote. I wrote that. But I really wanted to remember it. As a people in the hands of the potter who shapes and reshapes, who reckons and redeems our faith and reckons and redeems us, our faith opens us up to sacrifice for the greater good and hope of following God all the more closely. As a people in the hands of the potter who shapes and reshapes, who reckons and redeems, our, our faith opens us up to life and community in hope 
that we can serve God more powerfully and effectively as a community covered in the fingerprints of the divine. My friends, as we start a new year, let us look for those fingerprints. Let us look for how God is shaping us because we have a powerful message and a powerful life to share in a world that is hungry for what we offer. Amen.